0: Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning into The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor at large at The Block. And we have two very, very exciting guests joining us on the other side of the mic at the firm Lightspeed. We have Moritz Verlentz, head of gaming and a partner there at the firm. And we also have Sam Harrison, managing partner at Faction VC, also an advisor to Lightspeed separate companies working very closely together and obviously both of them have their many fingers on the proverbial pulse of crypto venture and gaming so we've got to know each other a bit uh, over the course of the past eight minutes trying to figure out my microphone not going to throw anyone else under the bus What's the give me a temperature check like obviously I was writing something yesterday about web3 investments being down 83 some odd percent from the previous quarter I don't I don't I should have the figure up up on the top of um I should know the figure on the top of my head but I don't it seems quiet deal flow seems low um uh, maybe Sammy can walk us through like what's your what's your sense
1: yeah it, it's it's definitely down um we looked at the data pretty recently i think all of ventures down and web3 crypto investing's down substantially more than an already big drawdown and basically that's probably a good thing you know there was lots of stuff getting funded that should not have been funded there's too much capital in the space everybody's talked about this this is nothing new or revelationary um But we see probably the best projects that we've ever seen, the most innovation, the most kind of talented teams with adequate, suitable backgrounds to build what they're building coming across the desk today. So we've actually got more in the pipeline that we're excited about than we can handle. And that wasn't really the case the last kind of two years. It was, hey, you need to decide in the next week or two for this overvalued thing that's super hyped up. But doesn't really have any substance so funding's down that's a good thing the quality is definitely yeah and the the tourists have all left obviously at this point which is which is great for us too um so i don't know morris if you have other thoughts but net net's probably a good thing
2: yeah like i think on on the gaming side and this is this is a comment that uh spans web 2 and web 3 so it's not necessarily blockchain specific um volume is down uh, deal-wise but if you actually look at the number of deals that got done i think uh q2 picked up again q1 was still the third most active quarter in gaming since 2020 um so i think mo- most of the drawdown you see on the later stages and uh, and dollars are down substantially but just from Personal experience and, you know, having been with Lightspeed for about half a year now and, and what I've seen in those six months, I would say this this has been as busy as ever in terms of um, you know, good and in some cases also outstanding uh team quality coming to market. And so I think a lot of the a lot of the withdrawal from the funding landscape, there's a lot of it's It's not just on the founder side and a lot of things maybe having tested the markets in the last two years that in an environment like this don't go out and frankly maybe shouldn't get funded. there's also a lot of i would say tourist activity maybe on the investor side where it feels like over the last two years everyone and their mother started a fund and um and 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 that has faltered too, and it's also harder to raise funds it's not just harder for companies to raise money. It's also harder for funds to raise money in the current environment. And as Sam says, I, I truly believe too, a lot of this is healthy activity and I think quality will prevail ultimately. And, and that's what we're chasing.
0: Mm. So walk me through how these two firms kind of work together and how does it maybe allow both entities to kind of Elbow your way into into deals because, to your point, uh, Moritz, there was—I mean, it's hard to raise funds now, but there were a lot of funds raised. Let's call it a year ago. A lot of capital sitting on the sidelines, um, but very few deals. So you kind of need to get creative in in convincing folks that you're worthy of their cap table, um. What's the strategy there and and how does this sort of unique um, relationship help uh, elbow elbow your way in there?
1: Yeah, it's it's actually a really, um, it took us a year to come up with this structure, which is kind of like a hybrid concept, which we hope presents the best of both worlds, which is Faction, which became Lightspeed Faction after it entered into a joint venture with Lightspeed, is a separate pool of capital independently run It's registered investment advisor focused entirely on blockchain. And then you have the suite of Lightspeed core funds, which are obviously much larger and, um, you know, cover most geographies at this point and are also, you know, generalist funds. So Lightspeed has been around for almost 25 years, manages, you know, many billions of dollars and has lots of expertise in company scaling also, expertise in yeah uh, data science and recruitment, marketing, mm-hmm. events, as well as these kind of verticalized expertise, uh, investment professionals like whether it's enterprise or security or consumer or gaming. Uh, so, and then there's this blockchain piece on the side that Faction is entirely focused on, and our long-term view is eventually blockchain is abstracted away, and it just part of the plumbing of lots of these businesses but today it's still a really really important kind of component that is not yet as abstracted so we have a separate fund run and operated by folks that have been building and investing in blockchain for most of their careers um, with an lp base that signed up to do everything that we need to do to support the companies in the portfolio and what that means is faction is focused on blockchain investing taps into the Lightspeed platform where there's vertical expertise, for example, markets in gaming, where there's overlap. You know, It's a gaming company that has a substantial blockchain component. That might be a good reason to work together on a deal.
0: If Sam finds a deal, um, clear opportunity for investment there. How does it work? Do you sort of go in together? Um, what's the sort of
2: breakdown? Practically speaking for you, yes. Like if one of us gets an inbound, that's Web3 Gaming. We, I think, we we typically copy each other in before we even respond to the company. Um, so I, I can only take the uh, intersection of of gaming and Web three, but the way it works there, we want to make sure two things are sound. We want to make sure all the stuff we typically look for in a in a game studio is sound, and we'll evaluate every game studio based on the quality of its design talent and previous experience in in game design and game production. Um, that's just like what we would do for any studio. And then if, if there's the web three component, at least I would want to make sure that, you know, in-game economy design, if there's a token involved, token design and, and all that kind of stuff is straight. I'm not an expert there. So that's that's where at least from my perspective, I would have to rely on on Sam. And that's why in those cases we do the diligence together and we would we would also share the position on the cap table if we decided to move forward.
0: Well said. So it's, it's an interesting environment. Like I was saying before, it's sleepy, but to your, to your point, it's a bit more, the, the tourists are gone. So in many ways it makes it a bit j- just more seamless, more, more um, straightforward of a process. You're not really, you know, having to ape into things without doing the the proper due diligence. You don't have to commit to anything. Uh, you know, if you, go back to the heady days of of the previous bull market within 24 hours after one zoom call Um, but how do you sort of how do you navigate the different trends right because it's like it's it seems like it's difficult to get to stay focused you get pulled into the ai hype gaming hype and i'm curious like what the process is to sort of like really stick
1: to a thesis there um, and execute on it. I think in, in, in blockchain, you can't get too focused on what's hot right now uh, because it shifts so aggressively to the new hot theme. And we're even seeing repetition of the same hot theme that was hot in 2017 come back around now. Um, so you know, if you were just a gaming fund or just a DeFi fund, or just a privacy-focused fund. Uh, you know, there's times where that was going really well, and there's times where that's just going extremely poorly. Uh, and you know, whips between overly negative relative to probably fair value to overly positive and massively ahead of fair value. And there's a very little time in between where it's probably representative of what's actually incommensurate with what's been built. So we invest very broadly. We've invested in, uh, across last fund and this fund, it's getting towards 65 blockchain companies and they're really broadly spread, deliberately so. Um, And the overarching thesis is, they've gotta be doing something useful for businesses or consumers using blockchain or allowing people to build on blockchains more easily. And, and, And that's it, doesn't matter what the category is as long as it's a sensible one.
2: Yeah, I would uh, I would add that at least on the gaming side, I think it's remarkably easy to do quote-unquote the right deals. And it hasn't really changed over the last three years from my perspective. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm only about three and a half years into my investing uh, career after a five-year banking stint, which frankly is quite different from investing because you're selling all the time and, and, and now you've got to put your pessimistic head on and you basically preserving capital all of the time with two or three rare exceptions in, in a given year so that's been been roughly my pace uh three investments per year and you know for returning a 7 billion dollar fund or family of funds at at lightspeed the the goal is to find the generational companies because nothing else really turns the needle on the on the multiples of returning a fund and so on the game studio side yes it's interesting to chase a creative fresh idea but because we need people to build not only games but essentially empires we're not we're not really funding games we're almost funding a small shot at building the next riot games or building the next blizzard you want people who have seen and ideally created in the front row seat multi-billion dollar. Enterprises, and so you know, I've I've said this internally, and I'm, I think I've also externally mentioned this. But our bar is basically excruciatingly high to the extent that really only a couple of teams per year even meet it and are up for consideration. Which is, has this founding team in a leading role created a franchise that has grossed like 250 million a year, 500 million a year? If yes, let's continue to talk. If no, it's probably already getting tough. And so this is really how I've invested over the last three years, not at, not only at Lightspeed, but also at BitCraft. And um, people have different approaches to this sector. I'm happy with the results so far. So I also don't see much reason to, to change it. Um, and I'm excited that now we also see Web3 game studios that meet this high bar. Like EVE is a, is a great example. You know, they're... There has been this criticism of Web3 gaming of being low quality and, and um, and you know, predatory. And I think both of these things were observed, but there's nothing that prevents Web3 games from being just as successful as the most popular Web2 games. But they need to have sound economic design. And we see that now. And, you know, Sam helps diligence if we find a game studio that we think is is pursuing that. But they also need to have super experienced game designers. And, and we do see now that, that caliber of talent move into the space. There's really, there's nothing that prevents us from seeing a, a 5 billion, 10 billion plus Web3 game studio build over the next few years.
0: Now, what's the higher likelihood? Um, that scenario or just the existing game developers winning on Web3
1: first? Uh, yeah, that's a super interesting question which we wrestle with a lot and the first investments that we made in blockchain gaming many many years ago were all on the platform side and the thesis was you know the gaming infrastructure game developer infrastructure tools and picks and shovels so the view was blockchain devs are probably not going to build a good game let's have the game studios build a good game and then make it very easy for them to layer in a a blockchain-based economy and other things that you can uniquely do using blockchain infrastructure. That's been generally the house view for I'd say the last five years. Uh, obviously, the incumbent. And that's
0: kind of evident in in what you know Axie Infinity has done. Sort of, um, you know, they they've pivoted away from like focusing specifically on Axie to more on just.
1: Building out Ronin for multiple yeah. you know, games to build Yeah, on. I think that that the pitch for lots of companies was we will be an infrastructure company, but we'll start with some content to kind of dog food the ecosystem and show proof of concept, show how high you know the the ARPUs are and the retention is, and you know basically get the flywheel going on the ecosystem with some of our own content first. That's been most people's approaches, and it feels like that has that's their approach now too um but, but but the thing just to kind of circle back and complete the thought is that the incumbent game studios and publishers business model right now is really good so their incentive if if they have scale and if they don't it's it's, it's not so good but if you have scale and and distribution and reach and an audience and ip that people care about switching over the model somewhat to a blockchain based one is is risky because you know you go from you know, essentially uh, no variable cost selling an, a, a new skin or item an infinite number of times, uh, You know, which is, which is a great business model, to something where there's provable scarcity and maybe there's the ability to use items from outside of the game and there's external factors being placed on the game economy because you can't control it because it's on blockchain, it's permissionless. That is a scary thought if you are a successful publisher. Um, because you lose some controls, I think it's ultimately good for gamers, so yeah the thesis has been it will be experienced devs that build good games that and it's easy to layer in the blockchain, notwithstanding the fact that there's a lot of inertia to actually change from a very successful business model at scale that um, publishers and studios have today, so yeah, where does that what's like the Venn diagram of who might actually adopt and get success. It's probably, as Moritz was saying, like these spin outs from game stu- big studios that have got experience, that have seen, you know, the blockchain is a unique kind of differentiator for them, for a certain subset of the audience that appreciates true item ownership and scarcity and all of the various things that you can do um, with blockchain components. And therefore, they use that as a wedge in to create some new content. But they have themselves been around what it looks like to be successful in a big way at building games.
2: Yeah. I So this this inertia that you mentioned, Sam, I think it can't be understated. If you think of blockchain as a platform shift, and it's not a clean word to use for it, you can also think of, of AI as kind of like a, a platform shift and compare it to um the 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 big platform shifts we've seen over the last, you know, call it two decades or so, the emergence of the internet and then the introduction of the mobile phone. Um in both those instances, it were new innovators that captured a lot of the value versus the incumbents. And I think it's always like that. If if we truly thought that a paradigm shift, a technological shift like this would not result in a in a value shift from large to small, then we should all pack our stuff and 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 close down Faction and, and Lightspeed because that's, I think, a core belief in what we do. And look at the mobile phone and look at what happened. It wasn't EA. It wasn't Activision uh, capturing the money. It was Zynga uh, that figured out how people interact with this device and that they want to play for a minute and then another minute, 10 minutes later no one was carrying their pc and console around like this so it required new 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 game design new monetization methods which by the way uh we always didn't get right by cha- uh, like on, on the first try either it took like 2 or 3 years so i think also for blockchain it will take you know another year two two years to really see that come to fruition um, rovio a uh, company that innovated the the tactile touch screen for a game called angry birds which which took off so why, why didn't EA, why didn't Activision do that with all the resources they had at their disposal? Because it's really punishing to try and shift into that direction and get it wrong rather than releasing uh FIFA, uh, you know, 24 for the 25th year.
0: Can you unpack that? Why is it, why is it so damaging? Like, why is there, um, you know, this goes back to the inertia point. Why is there so much, why is there? So many impediments to traditional game studios experimenting.
2: One key reason, I think, is being, being a public company and having quarterly reporting is a lot less fun uh, on a quarterly basis. With, our, with, with us, you know, investing in an early stage game studio, we'll, we'll see if you make revenues uh, f- four years later. Uh, after we put the first money in. And then obviously within that time, we'll do everything in our power to help you be successful, including partners that we loop in, syndicates we build, introductions we make. But um, you can't judge innovation on a quarterly basis. It takes It takes years.
0: And what type of metrics do you look for? I mean, obviously, whenever I talk to venture capitalists, the team is kind of paramount to... Many of the more financial uh type metrics, but what do you look for I mean the the funny thing about gaming is that Tam is is almost unlimited relative to other industries but which is why it's so exciting but what else what 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 there needs to be there as it were
2: yeah Tam I think you know a lot of a lot of the times we see like this I'm going after a five billion Tam or a twenty billion Tam like this it doesn't really matter that much I think that, typically matters a lot more to see whether a company has a clean and realistic bottom-up model I'd rather be interested in who are your first 10 customers that pay you you know 200k a year versus you chasing 10 or 20 or 30 billion dollars in theory and then telling me you get a percent of it um but but what your comment It depends on the stage right like early stage investing yes this mostly of what this company is and what it will become is the caliber of the team that's just a fact i don't even think that's that's an opinion so um for for game studios that are four years from launch there are no metrics to look at other than the previous metrics which is the previous team's accomplishments and successes and so that's all we that's all we we can realistically look at we want to make sure they build the right game but frankly the right people will always build the right game which is multiplayer life ops like set up to be a forever game that can basically once it has success turn into a platform we actually have no interest in funding games we we want we want forever games that have platform like dynamics um and you frankly need 50 million dollars plus to build that kind of stuff.
0: What's the biggest differentiator between a, a game that has platform potential uh, and one that does not? It's
2: it it's a game that can turn into a SaaS like business model and basically evolve from an initial success. So if you if you don't build it with life ops and forever game quote unquote dynamics in mind, let's say you have a commercial success, you put the game out, it sells like crazy, and then what? And then you have to go back to the drawing board and like work on your next game and hope that that's a success too. And you're exposed to the same creative risk. But if you can turn an initial game sensation and revenue stream into then continuing to build that game, Fortnite is a great example, but League of Legends is a great example too. Um, That's by the way, also in part why uh, ex-founders from Riot Games and and Epic are pretty popular with, um, with VCs because they've seen the, They've seen games as a software, games as a platform, uh, playbooks um, firsthand.
0: How does a project or team get the tokenomics wrong or the implementation of
1: Crypto Web 3 wrong? What's the biggest mistake made there? It's more like how do they get it right because very few people have got it right. And I think it's back to this concept. I hate the term play to earn because it's really like, that's it, it's just there's an ownership component that comes with blockchain which means you can monetize more easily uh off platform just by definition but like if the sole purpose is to you're only there to extract value everything's just going to trend towards zero which we've seen historically we've seen it in DeFi, we've seen it in GameFi or play to earn whatever you want to call it which is we'll give away this token for certain actions if they're not enough uh Kind of sinks or demand side for this token, it will be extracted and sold until it gets close to zero. And then each additional extraction, you either need to give away more tokens that are worth less, or the dollar value that's being extracted is worth less to the point where it's no longer worthwhile putting time into it. And then, you know, if no one's there to play for fun and the economic reward is not sufficient and there's not anyone on the demand side to prop up the value of the currency. You have something that ultimately is just a waste of everybody's time. And I think that's probably been like Gen 1 crypto play to earn games. They, they generally follow like two broad patterns. It's kind of like big sports IPs. Um, yeah, it's like NBA, MLB, soccer, football. This is like DraftKings, so rare. Dapper, they've all got real IP out there, UFC as well. Um, they're on like the collectible side. And I think. It was collectible without a ton you could do with it. And that's coming. Uh, and we're seeing more of that stuff. And then, like, there are people that collect for the love of collecting. But um, you know, primarily the usage at its top was just simply people buying with the knowledge that they could very quickly flip the NFTs that they opened for almost a certain prof- profit. That was the case at one point. It's no longer the case. So the subset of users that are actually enjoying it is way lower. And then there's the other kind of Gen 1, like card games, like Hearthstone-like uh equivalents that are you know Hearthstone Hearthstone but worse like right? that um do I think we'll see it evolve but just adding a a, a token or sub, a series of tokens to a game or just adding NFTs is not sufficient to make it have lasting appeal
2: I'll just I'll I'll just say that if you look at previous um business model innovations in gaming folks never got it right the first year and i think the last big one in gaming was the transition to free to play and then in-game monetization versus having an upfront uh one-time purchase price there were like dlcs or, or add-ons in the transition to this but once this idea became a test bet that you wouldn't actually pay for the game but you would pay for things inside the game Everyone shifted to, oh, what will people want to pay for? Oh, it's things that make them stronger and better in the game. Seems kind of logical that people would want to spend money on that. But in every multiplayer environment, pay to win backfired massively. And if you want millions or, or billions of, of players um, to create an uneven playing ground will will just result in an experience that's fun for very few and uh, and not for many. And this took like two, three years to figure out that people want to pay money just for cosmetics, for looking cool in front of their friends and wearing like a party hat and and, and IP costume. That doesn't change anything about the game at all, other than the looks and, and the flair of it. I mean, honestly, if you would have come up with that idea from the get-go, people probably would have thought you're crazy. And now look at at what portion of the $200 billion annual revenue that makes up. It's a gigantic amount. And that's all relatively new. And it took, I don't know, two, three years to stumble into that. And and now it's it's the status quo. So let's let's give uh uh blockchain design and and, and in-game economies like another year or two as well, right? It's I think a lot a lot of the big failures, you know, it gets portrayed as you know rug pulls and and predatory design and like it was there was like malintent and in some cases I think you know obviously there there was but in most cases it's just really hard to get it right when you're the first one who's doing it
1: it, it almost certainly means that blockchain gaming will be a thing right if you look at people the amount of money that it's spent on cosmetic upgrades and skins the to- the player doesn't have a very direct way of monetizing. Like there's a bunch of grey market stuff that's happening with Counter Strike, and uh, you know, where people are trying to actually turn it into real money instead of you know, credits. But it's difficult. It's, World of Warcraft's been the same thing for a long time. It's typically off-platform. It's typically something that could get you banned. It's it's you know rife with fraud. But that behavior exists, where it's like I enjoy this game a lot. I want to look cool in front of my friends. I will pay real money to do so. And you just complete that equation with like, okay, now there's other players that are more talented, have more time, whatever it may be that can actually win those items or you know, create them, forge them, whatever in the game that can now monetize to an extent because they have actual ownership of the item. They can sell it on OpenSea or Blur or whatever <clears throat> when the time comes that Behaviour is just in a continuation of what we've already seen. It just takes the grey market activity off and, and you know, a, a clearly control away from the publishers as well, which is, again, back to that inertia point, but like when players experience this and they make their first, you know, money from playing a game, which happened for me for Zed Run a few years ago, I was just trying it out and, you know, it's like, you're like, oh, someone wants to buy this item. I've, ju- I've just played this game because it's pretty fun and someone is willing to pay for it because it's cool and they, they actually have an enjoyment of the game. There's a financial component to that game too, in fairness, but like, that is a kind of a one-way gate. You go through that gate, it's like, I don't want to play, for hundreds of hours, thousands of hours into a game where I own nothing and the, 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 the next version comes out or I move to the next game and I monetize zero dollars for all of that achievement.
0: But is that the case 100% of the time? In terms of like the desire to have some form of monetization, is that always going to? Um,
1: you know- no, 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 no. Just to be clear, right? There's There's a player who loves the game and they are willing, as they do today, to put in their credit card and buy stuff that makes them look cool in the game. And they'll spend thousands, tens of thousands. And, you know, you see it. It's a thing. It's like Moritz said, it's it's probably the bulk of the gaming market at the moment. They will still exist. As long as the game's fun, those players will still be there. Their propensity to pay will probably be higher if they know they actually have true kind of freedom for the use of that item. And then you have the the other side of that equation, which you've also seen in all of these games, even World of Warcraft and Counter-Strike, which is like, I will, you know, I'm playing... To an extent for fun but like if i have the ability to monetize i will do i'll monetize my time because my time is yeah maybe i'm a student maybe i'm a low-income country my ability to monetize that time relative to the propensity to pay for someone else is just completely different um
2: i think the argument is even stronger with um user-generated content or you know it doesn't even have to be user-generated content it can almost be um you know, really any any user input and playtime and effort over time that creates something that is larger than the original game, like, you know, a very simple version of that is creating levels or creating new environments or creating new assets. Like right now, a lot of creators are doing this in their spare time, um, sometimes getting paid, sometimes completely for free. And I think in those cases, objectively, you're contributing to the experience of everyone else by increasing the diversity of experiences that are that are available within a platform, whether that's new assets or levels or, or worlds. Um in the case of Eve, I just come back to that example again. You know, there's over over many, many years, entire you know, clans, like dynamics in the games were shaped by by the work of people over years. And so there is just objectively value in a way that now this will attract increasingly eyeballs and capital over time because the wealth of the experience was enhanced by the effort of players or in some cases they're not even players they purely enjoy the act of creation too so to figure that out economically and intuitively it's really hard to rebuttal the fact that true ownership would only drive people to to um, increase that behavior, both on the on the creator side and the consumer side. Um, if you know that what you do and all your effort and all your time has persisting value and persisting security to you as a person in the way that it is secured beyond the will of even the company who produced the game, um, all of that to me philosophically makes a lot of sense. We'll get it right. Um, it's, it's, it's going to take a little bit, but I think if you want to construct an argument counter to what I just said, you'd probably be in, in, in more trouble than, than just joining along.
0: Okay. What about, uh, going back to AI, how, how much of a role will it play in building up content and, and just like kind of, you know, being a core component of like what the future of gaming looks like alongside of web three components.
2: I mean, I'll, I'll do quickly on the on the gaming side. Um, we've seen, I would say, this year alone, roughly 100, 150 companies at that intersection of gaming and AI alone. Um, the vast majority of them are in the domain of what I would call workflow improvements. They help you build things faster, cheaper, Uh, Better. Um, This includes 2D assets. It's starting to include 3D assets. It certainly includes things like sound and animation. And I think those are interesting. But coming back to the point I made earlier, when you have a platform shift and you could call Web3 a platform shift, you could call AI a platform shift. It's typically the companies that create completely new and novel experiences that really reap most of the value. And so the question that I ask myself on the uh, AI investing side, or as it relates to AI and gaming is, which of these companies are actually not just helping you do things a little bit better, in some cases, actually a lot better or faster, but who of them are creating experiences that are simply impossible to pull off today? Yeah. And I think a good example is intelligent NPCs. If you look at, um, if you look at Unreal and Unity and the quality of environments that we can produce today, like you can, you can create a photorealistic Manhattan with no problems, but to fill it with, you know, two, three million New Yorkers that all have their dreams, aspirations, hopes, background stories. Daily activities, uh, behavior, and interactions among each other when the player isn't even present.
0: You can make in-game NPCs almost as real as in-life NPCs.
2: Yeah, why, why even spend any time in the real world? So, so one one company that I find particularly interesting is uh, in, in the space is in-world AI. I, I I do honestly think this is one that that um, folks should pay close attention to. I would go as far to say there's probably a shift on the game engine side. If you if you think of Unreal as the PC engine and Unity as the, the mobile and XR engine, I think we'll see these AI-first engines that put logic over visuals. Um, and InWorld is a great example for them. There, there are many others that are trying to pursue this space too.
1: Yeah, and then just on the, I mean, I agree with all of that. On the crypto-intersect AI piece, there's lots of things outside of gaming where that's happening, but the one that I've been thinking about most recently is kind of, yeah, this concept of you have more realistic MPCs. Yeah, now with crypto, what makes it even, what would be a level above that is those NPCs you know, have their own bank account and it's blockchain crypto denominated. They can spend real money, not in-game credits. Like, why not? If you're going to have computers and AI making decisions, if if it's going to transact at some point, which it needs to do to, you, you know, why not Why not use crypto? Who owns, who owns that? Who actually owns that? No, I think if, you, if I were to look, this is now we're getting into the realms of this is super early and it's not coming soon. But if I were the, the, the developer of such a game, like you create your in-game currency and you seed the NPCs with some amount and it costs you $0, right? It's a dilution to what you might own of the fully diluted supply of that currency. But that's actually easier to stomach than giving each npc 20 bucks real you know fiat because that costs you there's gonna actual be, there's, money.
0: i don't i don't know if i can stomach npcs being
1: out there who are worth Rich. more than me <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's happening <laughs> it's happening that i i i think that this is i've been toying with this idea but like that's how you get to the next level of realism right like this is a realistic representation of, of of a human and character they've got to be able to transact they've got to be able to transact real money real money otherwise like it you know there, there becomes a point where it's not real so i don't know i can see that happening and it's much easier to seed that economy with you know internet money that you've just minted than actual money that would be expensive
2: you no know, i think the the sooner you come to the realization that you might not be the main character <laughs>
0: now you sound like my therapist there, okay <laughs> <laughs> that was that was very deep um any closing thoughts what are you what are you guys most excited about um looking out the next six months?
2: yeah i mean on my on my side um I'm very happy with the i p and studio exposure that we have in the current vintage we um we announced a killer deal I think yesterday uh where we brought in um Microsoft Sony and and as a first in gaming actually the Nintendo family too among um pretty pretty impressive uh, slate of additional investors believer we announced early this year like ex ex Riot executives um starting another studio and methodical late last year with um with veterans from Fortnite and Call of Duty so i think on the ip and studio side um really excited what we have cooking i will probably dedicate my active outbounds for the second half of the year more in the infrastructure side of gaming. There's so much interesting tech that gets born in gaming and then transcends into other media sectors and, and industries. NVIDIA is a great example, right? Those were graphic cards built for video games and now they power all of AI, they power all of the blockchain and a bunch of other stuff. It's actually a gaming company that became a trillion dollar everything company and so like finding those. That's that those those are bangers. Those are certainly generational companies. Um it doesn't have to be AI. Obviously, that's a that's a topic where a lot of things are moving around right now. So it's a it's a fertile pond to fish in. But um there's also a lot of stuff we see just in, in raw, I would say 3D in tech innovation that isn't necessarily AI related. Um, that's worth taking a close look at. So for me, I guess the answer is, is gaming tech or, or interactive media tech is, is a big focus.
1: Yeah, and then, you know, not, not investment advice, obviously, but I think 2024, kind of end of Q1, Q2, I think we start to see hopefully the end of the, the crypto bear market, which, which will be good because I think it will bring with it a new wave of users. Um, again, that is just a personal view. It's not a firm view and it's definitely not investment advice. And then on the gaming side specifically, super duper early. But, you know, one, I think we see Gen 2 games that are actually fun, built by gaming professionals, and that will be cool. That will be the first time that that's happened. There's nothing really out there like that today. And then two, uh, th- and this is really early, but we start to see some more examples of on-chain Logic games. So you've got off chain logic games with blockchain based currencies, that's kind of how we, or NFTs, and that's how we see it today. And there's a handful of examples of where the game logic is actually in smart contracts, it's auditable, it's provably fair. Um, and you start, like, the problem with that is you can see players' moves and intent and stuff in the mempool. So, like, it's weird. But, like, with ZK coming along, you can start to imagine more use cases for that, where it's like very clear you're not cheating. If we're all playing out of the same auditable smart contract, that is the code that is running. There is nothing else. Um, there's a bunch of things that that unlocks. But that, that's, I think, quite a few years away. The infrastructure is not quite there, but it's a really cool concept, and I'm not smart enough to figure out, like, what exactly will be built using that primitive.
0: We'll have to talk to your quants. I'm sure they have the answer. They well, will this is around. great. Thanks so much for taking the time. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. Gentlemen, hopefully we'll hear from you again soon.
2: Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Thank Thank you.